Hello, and welcome to the Artificial Intelligence in Drug Discovery podcast. My name is Simon Smith, and I'm your host. On this episode, I speak with Sam Cooper, co-founder and CEO of Phenomic AI. Phenomic is an ambitious Toronto-based startup going against the grain of most AI drug discovery startups out there. Sam and his team use machine learning for automated image analysis to study cell biology and screen drugs, but that's just the beginning. Bucking the trend towards designing precisely targeted therapies, Phenomic starts with compounds that have multiple effects and then works to modify them to get increasingly better results. And unlike AI drug discovery startups looking to partner with pharma companies to commercialize products, Phenomic plans to build commercialization capabilities in-house, including by leveraging robotic labs. In this episode, you'll learn about Phenomic's distinct approach to drug discovery, its use of machine learning for high-content screening, and how they plan to scale from a technology company to a full-stack biotech business. This episode is brought to you by BenchSci. BenchSci uses artificial intelligence to reduce the cost of scientific experiments. Use it to find research antibodies up to 24 times faster than using PubMed or Google Scholar. Just enter a protein of interest and filter by technique, organism, tissue, or 13 other options. BenchSci returns only relevant published figures and products. Researchers in 14 of the top 20 pharmaceutical companies and nearly 1,000 academic institutions now rely on BenchSci to find antibodies. It's free for researchers and academic and nonprofit institutions. You can sign up at BenchSci.com. If you work in industry, just use the contact form on BenchSci.com to reach out for a demo. And now, on to the interview. Hi, Sam, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Simon. How's it going? I think we're both in Toronto, right? We are, and yet we are speaking to each other through the internet, which is uh, kind of strange, but the world we live in, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. So listen, I want to start with having you describe the problem that Phenomic is tackling for listeners. And I know that some of the people who listen to this podcast may not be particularly scientific or technical, or they may be one, but not the other. So what is the problem that Phenomic is going after? Sure, thanks. So across sort of the pharmaceutical industry at the moment, we're really seeing that small molecules or using small molecules to treat diseases is becoming an increasingly sort of tough problem to solve. Uh, and so the real, the real problem is that, you know, there's just a lack of targets. Uh, and there's a number of people, and when I say a target, I mean basically, you know, a target is a source of protein or factor that's involved, that people hypothesize uh, causes a disease. So yeah, across the industry, there's the lack of targets. And really this means that, you know, when people find a new target, there's a race or a big scramble to then develop a compound against that target and try and bring it to market. And across the whole industry, you know, a number of people highlight that this is basically dropping the sort of return on investment to a level that, you know, perhaps we're even starting to lose money on these discovery projects. So what I think the industry really needs to move towards is, you know, how can we get away from thinking about a single drug and a single target uh, and basically start to develop compounds against diseases in a way that's really sort of agnostic to the target because uh, compounds you know they are messy they often hit multiple targets even if people think they only hit one but we're really not harnessing or using this uh, sort of this sort of effect to our advantage 
Uh, so I think if you know ourselves and the rest of the pharma industry can start to get into this world of messy compounds that hit lots of different targets and use this to our advantage, then perhaps we can start to you know really develop some cool compounds and make progress against diseases at a rate that is sort of much faster than we're doing now. Hmm. I would love you to provide an example because it sounds to me that what you're proposing is almost the opposite of precise or precision medicine. And you're looking to address multiple diseases by focusing on targets that would be relevant for multiple diseases. But could you provide some examples to make that a little more concrete? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, exactly. So uh, most people are thinking precision medicine. We're trying to say, you know, sure, precision medicine is about, you know, what the disease looks like. But at the same time, there might be multiple different factors involved in that disease. Um, a great example of a messy, so in fact, the best examples come from, you know, the early days of medicinal chemistry when people just didn't have this structural genomic information. So if you look at the early days of cancer therapy, um, people knew that, for example, after the Second World War, uh, people knew that nitrogen mustards were active against lymphomas and uh, leukemias. Hmm. And, Basically, the problem was is so people could deliver these nitrogen mustards in liquid form, but they were really horrific for patients. Uh, so to try and like improve on these compounds, you know, they had no idea how they're working. But there's a guy actually in the uh, Institute of Cancer Research where I did my PhD. Um, his name was Professor Alexander Haddo. And he literally took the compound and then just started tweaking different parts of it using synthesis and chemical synthesis. Uh, so basically, yeah, he take this com He took this sort of these nitrogen mustards, tweaked different functional groups, figured out which stopped them working against the disease, which one, which groups he could change, and they could, you know, shift different toxicities. Uh, and he actually developed a compound with no idea what it was hitting, no structural information, that was only one or two atoms off what we now call chlorambucil. And this is a compound which has saved millions of lives in terms of being able to treat advanced leukemias. Uh, so I think this sort of old school chemistry does exist and it used to be the dominant way of finding drugs. Um, and if we can go back to it, that's basically what we're trying to do. So, so the approach then would be find something that has all sorts of effects. And then once you, you know, and one of those effects or multiple of those effects are beneficial. And then you keep tweaking it until it has more beneficial effects and fewer negative effects. Would that be the, the methodology then? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's really just trial and almost trial and error. Mm. Uh, I think we need to move back into this world of trial and error and just empirical discovery. What does the compound do? Rather than necessarily hoping we can predict what it's going to do, because biology is really complex. Uh, and especially if you're dealing with targets or binding sites that you know, aren't necessarily so well defined as the ones we have at the moment. It's a very, it, it's almost the complete opposite approach to what uh, I hear most commonly now where everybody is trying to really hone in and, and, uh, and be, be as, as least wasteful as possible in their approach and as targeted as possible in their approach. And, and, uh, and it's fascinating to hear somebody go against the grain. So how does your, how, how does your technology in particular enable that methodology? Sure. So exactly as you said, you know, if you go back to these tweaking methods, they can be very wasteful. But the nice thing about machine learning and some, some of the sort of the image analysis that my background is, and my co-founder's background's in, is you can start to, you know, create quite good probabilistic or statistical models of how, so, you know, different tweaks in parts of a compound 
change specific parts of a phenotypic profile. And so where before people, you know, this is very, very much trial and error and in people's sort of minds, we can now quantitatively start to tune compounds and quantitatively understand how changing a compound changes its profile against disease and toxicities. Uh, so I think, you know, our, our key advantage or key thing that we're trying to push forwards, and there's a couple of other companies trying to do this as well, sure, um, is that basically, yeah, how can you quantitatively or boost, your, like, boost the chances of success when you're doing this empirical sort of probabilistic discovery? And uh, so when I've, I've read about uh, some of what you're doing and, and where it originated, and my lay interpretation of it is that you have a lot of uh, mic microscopy images and you are effectively training a network to see pathology uh, or changes in uh, cells, almost at a, as I understood it, at the single cell level. Now that's maybe a bad interpretation, but how do you draw the connection between that and maybe that's not the work that you're doing currently and what you just described? So how does that, that background use, you know, with, with uh, images from microscopes and then training a network align with what you just described as, as your approach? Um, yeah, so that's exactly right. Um, so what we're doing is basically, so what we think, if you th look, sort of take a step back from just imaging data, what we want to define is sort of what we call a phenotypic fingerprint. So this is, you know, in a broad setting, what are the pathways, you know, sort of in an abstract sense, what are the pathways, what are the systems inside a cell that are drugs affecting or interacting with? Uh, this can be defined through omics data, sort of, so you might have transcriptional profiles or mass spectrometry profiles, which, you know, say whether you've gone up or down in a certain gene and pathway. And these can give you a very detailed understanding of what a compound's doing. Um, on the image, the problem is these techniques are very slow and quite expensive. Uh, imaging is very high throughput and pretty cheap these days. So what we're trying to do is train deep neural networks to learn how to represent, you know, the important pathways for disease in a sort of space that we can say, if we change this compound or change this part of a compound, uh, this changes, you know, how these cells behave or changes this disease fingerprint as such. Uh, and, and if we can basically figure out which way looks like the right or what sort of change looks like a good change, because you know this compound has had this effect and it made it to market, whereas this compound failed and it had this effect, then we can really hone in on what sort of compound changes we need to be making or what compounds we should be following up as we bring them forward to clinic. Hmm. So you're, you're able to determine from images what previously or would also potentially take a lot uh, more intensive study to see what kind of gene changes are going on. And you're actually, you're training a neural network to be able to extract those features uh, uh, from just just the images themselves by, uh, and, you know, seeing things that patterns and, and, and I'm assuming patterns, colors, whatever the, the changes might be that no human could possibly pick up on at a speed that no human could possibly perform. Exactly. I think the key thing, actually, I would like to say that humans can always detect the changes we're looking for. Uh, we're not looking for hidden changes because okay. these don't have a big enough, these typically correlate to noise and just problems. Mm. We can do it at a scale that no human can exactly. Um, so we can see patterns across hundreds of thousands of images rather than just a couple of hundred. Uh, okay. And I think this is the critical thing going, you know, the AI should, at the moment, AI isn't necessarily that superhuman. It has in some settings done very well, but what it can do is scale things incredibly well. 
Mm-hmm. We're trying to scale up, you know, our, our ability to extract these profiles and then really figure out what all of the existing compounds are up to and then compare all of the existing compounds to, you know, large libraries of compounds with unknown activity and effects. So how would, how would then a, a drug discovery researcher use the model or your technology or are you looking to partner with companies? So we're actually, at the moment, we're going in alone um, and we're looking to bring in significant amounts of capital and develop our own therapeutics. Uh, what our sort of software allows, so we understand with myself and my co-founder, we're both software guys. We're not, we've never brought a drug to market or well, clinic, let alone market. And so we're, gonna, we're hiring people at the moment from sort of big farming with this expertise. And what we hope to give them are really the tools to basically the tools to allow them to you know, achieve superhuman abilities when it comes to improving these compounds against the disease. So where before, you know, they might have to make a thousand compound tweaks. We want to be able to give people the tools to say, you know, this is the compound I should start with. They might, in a hundred tweaks, I can get it to be twice as effective against the disease. Uh, this is what we're trying to empower the people we're now looking to employ with. Well, I, I did not know that. Uh, and I, I know that, you know, there are some other companies in this space yeah. that have also started to go down that path, who started out on the technology side and are now starting to get into the commercial development side. And they've raised, you mentioned significant ra- amounts of funding. I mean, we're, you know, we are talking in the hundreds of millions, of course. Uh, and you know, that, that, the, what you just described does raise a question for me. And I'm not sure if you know the answer to it, but I'm curious to know because I, I have worked on the commercialization side in pharma. And I'm curious to know how much you would have to change an existing compound, be it a generic uh, or, uh, or you know, a, a patented or a drug that's coming off patent, how much you would have to change it in order to be able to file for a, a new drug application or to have it treated as a new drug? And maybe that's a question that somebody in our audience knows the answer to because I'm sure it's kind of a a legal discussion about how much you have to tweak an existing chemical before it can be considered novel but do you know the answer by any chance? I think it depends how strong the patent was in the first place Mm. so I think it varies a little bit but typically you know maybe like the dream is you can get a scaffold hop in so if you shift the scaffold round then you can definitely file a new patent and the second thing is you know how much have you actually improved the efficacy of the compound the so more effective compound is easier to patent than one that's just sort of shifted sideways. And easier to market, I might add, from a commercial perspective. Definitely more valuable. <laughs> so you, you mentioned raising, you just finished a raising a round of funding. What were investors most excited about when they learned about uh, what you're doing and what you're planning to do? What was it uh, the that was most appealing? What was some of the feedback that you received? Because, uh, you know, as uh, we recently went through a round as well, and it was really interesting to see w- how the market, the, the venture capital market has shifted in their thoughts about this space. So what was some of the feedback that, that you got? Yeah, I think people like the fact we had a more wacky approach. Uh, and there's really only two other companies. So there's a company called Exientia and there's Recursion who've got similar sort of approaches. Mm-hmm. We're not in sort of the real big sort of bloodbath that's this sort of play where you have a sort of compound that you dock into a protein. But there's a, a huge number of companies and, and has been in traditionally as well. Mm-hmm. So I think they're quite excited by this more wacky idea. Uh, and then obviously throughout the major feedback and one that we totally agree with is that we do need pharma expertise on our team, full time working with us to bring these compounds through to clinic. Mm-hmm. 
So I think going forward, that's the key thing we need to hit. And if there's anyone in the audience with expertise in bringing compounds to market, uh, or to clinic at least, we'd love to chat. I'll, I'll take them out for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should, we should talk offline too, because maybe yeah. I know a few people from uh, my history who might be interested in that as well. Um, so what have you learned along the way that has surprised you? I know we have listeners to the podcast, some of whom may even be, you know, be entering this space either on the startup side or in the lab. What are some of the things that you found surprising working with machine learning technology uh, in uh, drug discovery? Sure. Uh, there's sort of two, I think the two things that have surprised me most, uh, one sort of how low the bar is for using machine learning approaches in pharmaceutical research. Uh, so without naming anyone specifically, you know, there's a number of very high level people in pharmaceutical research and biotech that really don't even grasp the differences between, you know, what a supervised learning approach is versus an unsupervised learning approach is and sort of various, you know, quite basic sort of aspects like this. And so I think, you know, from the pharmaceutical side of things, you know, people need to take a lot more, perhaps need to take more time to learn what machine learning is and where it's best applied inside pharmaceutical research. Uh, but then at the same time, on the machine learning side, it has also surprised me, you know, and perhaps we're culprit to this as well, you know, how much, how successful a bunch of got kids with software think they can be. Uh, <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think we also need to realise, you know, it's an incredibly difficult market. It's incredibly difficult to bring compounds through and we can't do this alone and we need all the help we can get and as many awesome advisors as possible uh, and there's but there's other companies out there who don't who think they can do it alone and can do it with you know and just put two fingers up at the industry and, and achieve it solo so i think we, we want to try and somehow like land in between where we have both expertise from pharma side and us on the software side you know trying to inform experts in the space you know how how we can accelerate different approaches and aspects <laughs> Yeah, I think that so much there that you just mentioned triggered some some, some thoughts on my side too. I, I think I've I've noticed for sure, and this is almost a a misconception for 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 sure that the technology uh, is and and the hardware and everything is is the hard part. But a lot of that now is commodity. You have great open source libraries. You have uh, access to cloud computing resources. You have access access to tools like Google's Collaboratory, where you can just start playing around in your browser. Um, but but if you don't have good data and, and increasingly proprietary data, and if you don't have a good use case or business model, it really doesn't matter. Uh, and then on the commercial side, yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said, I've worked in the commercialization and the, the, the regulatory and marketing and, and sales efforts and all of that that has to go into uh, launching a drug is, uh, is quite onerous. So definitely want to work with people who have been down that path before. Um, so what's on the near-term and long-term horizon for Phenomic? What challenges or are the immediate challenges for you? And it sounds like building a, a, out the organization is a, is a big one. But, but what else maybe on even the technical side? Sure. So I think, yeah, the most exciting thing on the technical side is following our raise. We've just got uh, our first data coming through now. So we're developing exactly as you said. Uh, it's critical to have your own data, proprietary uh, stuff that's completely defensible and no one else has. So we're currently, yeah, it's exciting to have our own data coming through now. And I think some of the challenges are going to start to emerge when we have to, when we start applying the software that we previously applied to very well-defined data sets to our own data sets, which, you know, we perhaps know less about. And we're also, you know, actively building. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty 
tough once we start getting the biologists sending the data to the data analyst who then have to come back with a you know with an answer and say this is the next experiment that you guys should perform so in the near term it's starting to get that sort of process in place and then in the long term you know we're really thinking how can we make this a fully automated process so instead of requiring a biologist to conduct the experiment send the data over to our data team who then send data results back and what the next experiment should look like which the biologist then sort of figures out how to achieve and set up how can we automate that entire process uh, and really sort of, you know say how can we have an intelligent agent taking all existing data coming back with an action that a sort of a robot or automated system can then perform or a set of conditions that can be put together and tested experimentally and then use this to really expand sort of the knowledge graph of what we know and what we don't know about a given disease or drug. So I think going forward, this is sort of the most exciting thing for us and how we can really start to close the loop on sort of drug discovery. That's fascinating. I, I know of at least two companies that are focused on building out entirely cloud-based robotic uh, laboratories. And, and so now, you know, you've added another piece to, to uh, this interesting combination of things that is phenomic, or you're taking not only a, a radically different approach, but also looking to take automation to a level that uh, a lot of companies I, I've spoken with ha haven't really addressed. Um, so I'm, uh, it'll, and now you're in Toronto, so I can always come down and visit your robot lab once you have that set up. I'd love to. Uh, Sam, anything I've missed? Anything you want to add that you would like listeners to know, apart from the fact that you're hiring, of course? <laughs> um, not really, no. I mean, I'm, but otherwise, I'd absolutely say just come and talk. I, I'm always super keen to pop on the phone with people and learn more about the space and the industry. Love chatting to investors and people who are interested in, you know, potentially joining a future rounds. Um, so yeah, basically I have an open door policy, open, open phone and email box policy. So please just reach out and would love to chat more with anyone in the audience. Great. So on that note, then where can people learn more uh, about Phenomic and get in touch with you? Um, yeah, so I think probably the best way is just to Google Phenomic AI uh, and then either send me an email. If my, I think my email address should be on, on the website or else just add me on LinkedIn. Uh, I accept LinkedIn requests like, I absolutely love it. It gives me a little self-esteem boost after everyone sends me that <laughs> a friend request as such. <laughs> I, think, I think I sent you a connection request yesterday. So. Yeah, exactly. I got my little <laughs> self-esteem boost there. Okay. Well, likewise, when you accept it. So Sam, exactly. thanks so much. <laughs> really appreciate the time. Uh, really interesting stuff that you guys are up to. And I love that you're part of the Toronto scene that's growing here as well. Fantastic. Thanks, Simon. And yeah, the Toronto scene is absolutely electric right now, I think. You just listened to my conversation with Sam Cooper of Phenomic AI. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to catch future episodes, be sure to subscribe. Just look for Artificial Intelligence and Drug Discovery in your favorite podcast player. Then hit the subscribe button. Until our next episode, be well and work smart.